Have you ever prayed for something like a lot? Here's Tyler Holder. Don't give up. You can be seeking, asking, knocking. You can be pursuing. You can throw aside all shame and immodesty. You can come bare before the Lord and feel like it was for naught. And that is the greatest lie you could ever believe about prayer. Pursue Him persistently in prayer. Remember, He's a good, gracious God who cares for you. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. And I'm Trent Griffith. Here's some cute ways I've heard kids pray. A mother was teaching a three-year-old daughter the Lord's Prayer, and the mother listened with pride as she carefully enunciated each word. Then the toddler got to the phrase, lead us not into temptation. But she prayed, deliver us from some email. <laughs> Amen. I once heard about a dad listening to his son, and the son prayed, dear Howold. At this, the dad interrupted and said, wait a minute, why did you call God Harold? The little boy looked up and said, that's what they call him in church. You know, the prayer we say, our father in, who art in heaven, Howold be his name. Oh. <laughs> and this particular four-year-old prayed, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those who put trash in our basket. <laughs> That's actually not too far from what trespasses really are. Maybe you've been a part of a church where it was a tradition to recite the Lord's Prayer word by word. I'm not here to condemn that tradition necessarily, but I do think that Jesus was giving us a pattern to follow more than actual words to recite. He was showing his disciples the mindset we need to have and the categories to pray in. And last week on Resonate, Tyler Holder took us to that prayer in Luke chapter 11. We're about to hear the second part of his message. Tyler serves here at Gospel City Church as our pastor to college students. He also heads up our men's ministry. We'll review some highlights from last week and then we'll hear the conclusion of his message. Here's Tyler Holder. He shows us first that prayers must be God-centered. And the first thing we see is that God-centered prayers begin with God's holiness. Notice what he says, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is an old word that describes and gives exaltation to God's character. Our first component, our first activity in prayer isn't that of getting something for ourselves. Our first activity in prayer is ascribing and giving something to God. It's declaring His holiness. So let me ask you, as you pray, how do you begin? Do you begin and pause to recognize the name that you are about to invoke? The name of the God of the universe, who not only created everything, but sustains it with the power of His word. Do you begin your times focusing in on God's holiness? Next, we see that God-centered prayers are not just focused on His holiness, but are focused on His kingdom. Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Disciples recognize and realize there is a greater kingdom that they're living for. And a disciple is a citizen of that kingdom here and now. 
So if there's a greater kingdom that we're pursuing, if there's something bigger, something greater in this life than just what's presently in front of us, do we recognize and realize that in our prayers, but more than that, do we recognize and realize this greater kingdom throughout our day-to-day lives? If there's a greater kingdom, and if disciples are citizens of that kingdom, and if the kingdom we're currently in isn't that kingdom, then that means you and I are ambassadors for a greater kingdom. This past Tuesday, I sat at my home. We had our college small group meets every Tuesday, 7 p.m., shameless plug. And um, as we sat in a circle with these college students, I began to realize that in the next seven to 10 days, they would interact and be in different situations and scenarios that I could never be. That they were gonna be activated and sent to IUSB and Notre Dame and St. Mary's. That they were, were gonna leave my home and go back to their communities, to their workplaces, and have conversations that I could never have. And the thought overwhelmed me that they are ambassadors for God's kingdom in areas that I could never be. And it overwhelmed me. And the reality is, is that that's not just true for my small group. That's true for you if you're a disciple of Jesus. That God hasn't hasn't placed you anywhere on accident. That you have been put into the job you have, into the home you have, into the neighborhood you have. You have the family you have. You, You have the interactions that you have on purpose. And that as an ambassador of God's kingdom, our prayers should be focused on his holiness and desiring to see his kingdom come here and now. And we are tasked with the mission and the message to proclaim. So as you pray, are you focused on his holiness and are you desiring his kingdom? The third component we see of God-centered prayers is simply this, is that God-centered prayers rely on his provision. Notice what he says in verses three and four. Giving us the model prayer, he tells us, give us each day our daily bread. Not bread for tomorrow. Not old stale bread from yesterday. Lord, I must rely on your provision physically today. Help me today. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Disciples, as they pray, recognize and realize that we must rely on his provision for daily seeking forgiveness for the sins that we are so apt to commit. We remind ourselves of the gospel each and every day, our need to repent first and foremost and come to the feet of Jesus. Lord, forgive us our sins. But not only that, disciples, since we've been forgiven so much, are then called to extend that grace and forgiveness to those that have wronged us. Did you see it? Help us to forgive those that have been indebted to us. How much easier would the Lord's Prayer be if Jesus kind of threw something in there like you could harbor bitterness? Wouldn't that be way easier? Like, and if those that hurt you real bad, just hold it against them. That'd be way easier to pray. He doesn't do that because he's way smarter than we are. He tells us, you've been forgiven so much. Now take that forgiveness and understand that you too should extend and offer that same forgiveness to those that have been indebted to you. And the last thing that he tells us that we must rely on his provision for is that we be not led into temptation. The default setting in my heart is to run after temptation. I don't know if that's you. Maybe you're different than me. And my 
prayer must be centered around, God, give me what I need today to flee this. Help me, Jesus, for I need you. I need to rely on your provision for my daily bread. I need to rely on your provision for forgiveness and extending it to others. And I need to rely on your provision for keeping me from temptation. We are heard when our prayers are God-centered. And thinking about relying on his provision, my mind came to a story of a man from the 1800s named George Mueller who exemplified and embodied a man who relied upon God's provision. George Mueller ran an orphanage and cared for over 120,000 orphans in his lifetime, traveled over 200,000 miles by ship to 42 different countries to proclaim Christ. And Mueller wrote this down in his journal one day. He said, one morning, all the plates and cups and bowls on the table were empty. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. And the children were standing, waiting for their morning meal. Mueller said, children, you know we must be in time for school. Then lifting up his hands, he prayed, dear father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Mueller, I couldn't sleep last night. Somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some, so I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread and have brought it. Mr. Mueller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left than there was a second knock at the door, and it was the milkman. He announced that his cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he wanted to give the children his cans of fresh milk so that he could empty his wagon and repair it. Oh, that we would rely upon the provision of God in prayer. The second thing we see here is that we are heard when our prayer is persistent. Jesus transitions here in verses 5 through 13 from giving an explicit teaching on prayer to telling parables illustrating it for us. And what we see here in these few verses is this picture of prayer as a persistent pursuit that we endeavor to do. Notice what he says. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Can we all just affirm that a midnight caller is never a good thing? Can we just say, don't do that, right? I don't know about you, but when when the doorbell was ringing at my house growing up at midnight, it was never a good thing. The story never ended well. It was never, and then everybody was happy. That was never how it it was. In fact, uh, about a year ago, my wife and I had put our kids to bed. We were getting in bed. It was about 12, 12 12.05 at night, and the doorbell rings at my house. Like, that's strange. The police shouldn't be here because I don't have teenage children. At least that's how it was in my family. So I go to the door and I turn the line on and I look out and there's this woman standing on my front porch. And I start hollering at her like, hey, what do you want? I'm not opening my door to you. I don't know who you are. And she mumbles some things. I can't really understand her. So I turn around and I go and get a flashlight and I come back. And she's gone. Like Harry Houdini disappeared. She is nowhere to be seen. I open the door and like edge out as not to get jumped. And I'm looking. I'm like, where did she go? So I back up. Don't turn your back on a bad situation. You back up. You close the door, deadbolt it. And I go back into my bedroom. And Janelle is cowering under the covers. I'm like, babe, what is going on? She goes, she's outside her window. 
no. So I open the blinds, and I'm watching this woman try and break into my neighbor's house. I'm like, that's unique. So I get my flashlight again, and I walk outside, and I round the corner, and she's gone. Just nowhere to be seen. So at this point, wisdom takes over, and I text my neighbor, who's a police officer, and I say, hey, Dan, can you help me look for somebody? So he brings out his police flashlight. Can we just say they got the market on awesome flashlights? Like the 20 million candle flashlight lights up the whole neighborhood, and we search everywhere. Nowhere to be found. Dan goes home. I go home. It's about 1 o'clock in the morning at this point. Super great night for me. I go back in. Again, deadbolt my door. Walk back to my bedroom, and I hear this noise. That's strange. There shouldn't be anybody outside at this hour. I go back, and I get my little puny flashlight, and I shine it at this girl. I'm like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm just trying. I know these people. I'm like, you don't know them. I know them. You don't know them. What are you trying to do? At that moment, I shined my flashlight at her. She went walking off down the road, walked back into my house. Do you want to know why I didn't open my door to that lady at 12-something in the morning? She had no, no business being in my house. She wasn't part of my family. She wasn't one of you. There's no reason why she should be there. And the story here that Jesus tells us is, is a, a story showing us a much different picture. Put yourself in the disciples' shoes in this moment and imagine the audience of Jesus' story. A midnight guest arrives, somebody that they know, and leaves you frantic to provide for their needs. The bro is hungry. He'd been traveling all day and night and he needs something to eat and you have nothing to give him. Then imagine the frantic pace of which you run to your neighbor's home and knock, knock, knock at his door seeking to provide for their needs. What we see here in this short parable that Jesus teaches us in prayer is this, is this first component, is that the first thing we see in persistent prayer is that we have to acknowledge our inadequacy. We have to acknowledge our inadequacy. The man could have simply made an excuse as to why he had nothing. Or he could have tried to solve the problem on his own, but he didn't. Notice what he does. Friend, lend me three loaves. I don't have anything to give. I need your help. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Can I ask? When you've been persistently prevailing in prayer, have you stopped to acknowledge your inadequacy to solve it? Man, my kids are a mess. I got brothers that aren't followers of Jesus. I need help, Lord. But in that moment, I need to take a step back and say, Jesus, I can't solve this on my own. I have nothing but prayer to offer. And when I try to solve these things on my own, it always ends up a mess. Have you stopped in your times of prayer as you've persisted and acknowledged your inability to solve it. Not only that, but notice verse 7, and he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
The second thing we see of persistent prayers is that we, persistent prayers have no concern for propriety. Now, there's a word that Jesus uses here that probably you haven't used this week or in your lifetime. The word's impudence. Has anybody ever said that word? Nobody. nobody. There's always one person that raises their hand. Nobody in this service. Praise Jesus. Nobody usually uses the word impudence. The word literally means shamelessness, immodesty, without concern for one's propriety or one's own dignity. The reality is, is that persistent prayer causes us, causes me, causes you to pursue God in ways we haven't done before. It causes us to weep for those we are praying for. To desire more than anything to cast our shame and our propriety aside and come before the Lord, bear before Him and say, God, please move. It drives us to greater depths in our relationship with Him. That's what persistent prayer does. And as we read this parable, it would be easy for us to read this and assign to God the role of the hesitant homeowner, wouldn't it? Maybe your experience with God is that you've been knocking at a door and you hear him from within say, nope, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to answer. That's not Jesus' point here in the parable. What he's declaring to us is that God isn't the hesitant homeowner. Rather, God, who cares about his children and delights in responding to them, is far greater than the hesitant homeowner who took his time in giving an answer. Our Father desires that we persist in our prayers. Donald Whitney, author of a book called Spiritual Disciplines, had this statement regarding persevering prayer. He said, sometimes a failure to persist in prayer proves that we were not serious about a request in the first place. At other times, God wants us to persist in prayer in order to strengthen our faith in him. Faith would never grow if all prayers were answered immediately. Persistent prayer tends to develop deeper gratitude as well. As the joy of a baby's birth is greater because of the months of anticipation, so is the joy of an answer to prayer after persistent praying. And as much as a generation that measures time in nanoseconds hates to admit its need for it, God crafts Christ-like patience in us when he requires persistence in prayer. Hear me. Don't give up. You can be seeking, asking, knocking. You can be pursuing. You can throw aside all shame and immodesty. You can come bare before the Lord and feel like it was for naught. And that is the greatest lie you could ever believe about prayer. Pursue him persistently in prayer. Remember, he's a good, gracious God who cares for you. The last thing we see is found in verses 9 through 13. It's simply this, is that I'm heard when my prayer is focused on God's goodness. Notice what he says. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an A, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Recognize and realize that our God-centered 
prayers enable us to persist in prayer, which helps us to see God's goodness in prayer. Our God-centered prayers enable us to persist in prayer, and that helps us to see God's goodness in prayer. And Jesus declares to us that as we persist, we continue asking, we continue seeking, and we continue knocking time and time and time again. And we rest content knowing that our answer will not always be yes. And we rest content knowing that whatever answer God gives, he does so because he is good. Do you see the strange story Jesus declares here? This is really fathering 101. If your son asks you for something to eat, don't give him a ball python or a scorpion. That's a bad idea. And Jesus declares to us that if our fathers, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly father, who loves you, cares for you, and is good, give you greater gifts. Do you notice in verse 13 what the greatest gift that Jesus could ever give us is? Do you see it? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the greatest gift we could ever have as we persist in prayer. But if I'm going to be honest with you, if I'm going to be transparent and let you into my heart a little bit, is that okay? I have been in spots of prayer, seasons of prayer, when I've become discouraged, I've become lazy, I've become worn out by asking, seeking, and knocking. I've desired God to move, and he hasn't. And man, I'm just done. I don't know if you've ever been in seasons like that. Or man, I, I would much rather stop than continue to ask. And here's what I've realized as I've looked at Luke chapter 11 this week is that discouraged disciples doubt God's goodness all the time. He said, in my moments of discouragement, I am quick to doubt God's goodness. And when my, my family issues have risen to the top and I've prayed for weeks, for months, or for years and nothing has moved... When I'm tired and in a weary place, I am so quick to doubt God's goodness. That's my story. I wonder if it's yours as well. That in seasons of prevailing, persisting prayer, where you have asked and sought and knocked, you have pursued you have made God the center of your prayer. You have sought his kingdom and you have persisted time and time again. I wonder if God's goodness is the farthest thing from your mind. I wonder who among us today has been prevailing in prayer for so long that you're discouraged and you doubt God's goodness. For those disciples in the room today who have been like me, or maybe are like me, can I be transparent and lay before you this truth that God hasn't forgotten you? He hasn't ceased his care and provision for you. And yes, it's hard to prevail 
It's hard to persist in prayer, but ultimately it's worth it. And in those seasons, when I've become discouraged and I've doubted God's goodness, I need to be reminded of the goodness of God that brought me to repentance. Of the goodness of God that sustains me and cares for me daily. And don't forget that whatever prayer you have been persisting and prevailing in, don't forget that there is a father who cares more deeply than you ever could about it. So this morning, are you a discouraged disciple who has doubted God's goodness? Has your time in prayer been more focused on presenting your needs before God and less focused on his holiness, his kingdom, and his goodness? Those are some thought-provoking questions from Pastor Tyler Holder. We went on that day to actually practice what Tyler had just preached. We all got into smaller groups in church. This was pre-COVID days, and we prayed one for another. Maybe you need some prayer today. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but I want to encourage you to reach out to a mentor or someone with some spiritual maturity, someone you know who knows how to pray. Maybe that's your pastor, maybe that's someone in your church, but ask them to pray specifically for the burdens on your heart. And if you're searching for a church home, why not consider Gospel City Church? You could come to one of our gatherings and worship with us. We gather both in person and online, so you have some options. For more information, just head over to mygospelcity.org. You can click where you see, I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. Now, Pastor Trent, would you close our program today by leading us in a prayer? I'd love to. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we want to acknowledge that you are our sovereign Lord. You are our Father. You desire intimate relationship with us as your children. And Lord, we do pray that your name would be holy in our lives, in our prayers, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our nation. Would your name once again be hallowed? And we pray that your kingdom would come as we see people jockeying for different political positions in our country. We want to acknowledge that we look to you as our king. It's your kingdom that we live for. We are your citizens of your kingdom because you have invited us in through redemption in your son. And Lord, we pray that you would provide for our needs. Uh, you've invited us to come and to seek you for things as basic as bread. And Lord, uh, there are probably a few of us out there that really do have a tangible need, such as food or clothing or shelter. I pray for those people right now. And yet for most of us, our tangible needs uh, are met, and Lord, we want to give you thanks for those things. Most of us have far more than what we need. Help us to be generous so that maybe you could use us to provide daily bread for others. And I pray, God, that our hearts would be hearts that are flowing with forgiveness, that we would forgive those who sin against us, knowing that you have forgiven us, that you would remind us that there's nothing that we've ever done that has not been forgiven on the cross because of Christ, and therefore there's nothing that's ever been done to us that can't be forgiven. So Lord, we seek your will persistently. And God, we ask that you give us patience as we wait for your kingdom to come. 
on this earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that you're a good, gracious, loving Father who seeks relationship with us. And I pray, God, that our listeners would know you in an intimate way. Teach us to pray like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And we do pray in the precious, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.